This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And it's good that I get to say that again, Brandon, because last week I did not. I had to say the one, the only, not Brandon. Like, I get really depressed when I say it. Like, the one, the only, not Brandon Swanee Swanson. Well, when you have to see Sean across the table and it's not me, I'd be depressed. The, the one thing that's good about Sean is he'll he'll slide right in. So, like, if he's, he's on the onside kick, he says dub that means, and if he's on the primetime podcast, he goes, hey. Hey, hey. So, he, keep, so he, <laughs> He's keeps, good, yeah. he keeps the slogans there, but we got a jam-packed show for you guys. We're continuing our football rankings starting the Big 12 this week. We just got done with the SEC. You guys should go check that out. And we also got our patron, Pat, calling in today. Going to be talking some college basketball at the beginning of the show. Before we get to Pat, which you can become a Patreon supporter and be like Pat and be on a podcast, Go check out patreon.com backslash podcast. Also, go check out our store link where you can get a t-shirt from MVP. That is down below in the description. Also, check out mostvalpodcast.com where you can catch MVP each and every day. And then go check us out on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and go give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. It would really mean the world to us. And then type a little something-something about why other people should check out the podcast as well. But Brandon... Got a jam-packed show talking Illinois basketball to start the podcast. And basically, Pat, what you wanted to talk about was kind of the state of Illinois. Transfers leaving, new guys coming in, second year under Brad Underwood. So I'm just going to kick it off to you to start. With you right now, where do you see the state of Illinois basketball? So right now, I see it as a really big transition area, especially with Brad Underwood coming in. And I really like Brad Underwood. I think he's a really good coach, and I think he can really help. But what has really concerned me or, like, raised my attention this offseason has just been all the players that have left Illinois basketball, the whole program. And it's not just uh, guys leaving for the pros, but we've had about six players leave because of either turning professional or transferring away. And that has, like, really raised my, like, okay, wait, what is going on with Illinois basketball? And then seeing Underwood's comments lately about, hey, I'm just trying to shape my system to my specific area. And a lot of been, a lot has been noted that a lot of big guys have left. And, and I think Illinois doesn't have a guy over 6'7 or 6'9 on the team right now. And he's been – and Underwood's been very affirmative. Like, I like my team to be guard-oriented. Or, like, we don't need guys who are 7 feet tall on my system. And I've – and part of me is going like, okay, that's that's good that he's tailoring it to the system, but it's also, is that going to work in the Big Ten? So it's, I think Illinois is still going through a very transition period with Brad Underwood right now. So here's here would be my question to you. Is this part of a, these guys have not, if they're, trans, if they're transferring, is it, is it because they haven't bought into the culture that Brad Underwood's trying to set there? You know he's trying to do his own thing. He's trying to he's trying to rebrand almost, and you you almost have to right now with the state of what Illinois basketball has been. He's trying to rebrand them and and bring a culture back to them. And these guys maybe necessarily don't fit that mold, don't want to be part of that culture that he's trying to. Brad Underwood's trying to bring back to Illinois. Do you think that that could be part of it? I definitely think that's part of it because I think it's mostly part of just the system that he plays. Like he's talked numerous times about how he admires Villanova's system and how they don't have a set big man and 
how they value combo guys who can do multiple things and guys who aren't very tall, but guys can, that can really play in that, his set systems. But I often compare it to what, when he, when he came into Illinois, I've thought like, okay, what is he, is he going to go in with his set system or is he going to try to throw out his system and try to create a new one based on what he has? I almost liken it to how when Shaka Smart went to Texas and he did, chose not to bring the Havoc defense with him from VCU because he decided, okay, I'm at Texas. I have the athletes to do more different schemes. I don't need to bring the Havoc defense over here. But when Underwood went to Illinois, I see that he's still bringing his system over, and I still see him using or trying to get players that will mold into that new system. And I just think a lot of the guys right now just didn't fit that system, which is why they're transferring out. But it is alarming just to see the record numbers of people transferring out and you can look at it as a system, but I don't think it's a very big of a cultural thing right now. Well, and I mean, every time you get a new coach, whether it's the football team, whether it's the basketball team, when you get that new coach that comes in, like we just talked about last week, I think it was for Auburn in our preview that one of the guys in their running back stable now is a former Illinois running back who transferred after um, Tim Beckman left because he wasn't happy with the coaching situation after Tim Beckman was fired. And last year, I didn't expect us to do anything special because this was a team where it was Underwood's first team. Of course, me being an Illinois fan, if you guys don't know that, I am a fighting Illini fan. This is a team that I root for um, when I do watch them play. And I just, I was like, you know what? We're probably going to have a similar Illinois season. We're going to do fairly well. In our non-conference, we're going to beat the teams like DePaul and Marshall and Augustana, but then we'll lose to teams like Wake Forest. And, you know, uh, we had two early Big 12, our Big 10 games with Northwestern and Maryland. And then we'll do okay in the Big 12. We won't do anything spectacular, but as long as we finish above Rutgers, it's a win for us in the end, I guess. You mean Big Big 10? The Big 10. I keep saying the Big 12 because we're talking about them in football. but. For me, the big thing with Illinois, and this is me just a not Brad Underwood, this is me in total, I think the biggest thing that we need as a team is somebody who is going to take over. And the reason why I say that is for the longest time under John Gross, it was always, all right, this is going to be our guy. When I first started getting back into, because as a kid, full on with the Illini they were going to the tournament. Then in high school, fell out, didn't really watch the Illini, came back into it. Ravante Rice with uh, John Gross's squad. Oh, he's going to be our guy. We had pretty good seasons, didn't really do anything. Then it's like, oh, Kendrick Nunn, he's going to be our guy. He ended up transferring. So to me, it was who's going to be the guy on this team. And the biggest question mark I have is Desumu coming in from Morgan Park. Not necessarily of... Will he perform at the next level? It's all I see on Twitter from Illini fans, Illini sports writers, Illini podcasts, is they're all over Desumu. He's a guy that, from the Illinois area, could have chose to go somewhere else, decided to stay in state, is really into, hey, this is our state, our team, we're going to build this up, I'm going to be the guy to do so. But my question, and Pat, I'll throw it to you with this, is my question is, are we overhyping him? And when he gets to Illinois, are we setting him up to kind of, the way I want to kind of phrase this, are we setting him up just to not meet our expectations? 
Or is DeSumo a guy who's like, you know what, he's going to meet our expectations and then push them even further? To be honest, I, th- I don't think we're overhyping his talent because he is a talented guy, and I do think that he has the talent to play in the Big Ten and do really well. But I think we might be overhyping in his first season like just how much that he'll be able to help Illinois because a lot of the tension now – if you go, if Illinois started its playing season right now, you would have Trent Frazier and you have DeSumo out there. And Frazier's a was a freshman last year. He's a sophomore now, and DeSumo's a freshman. Those, that's a lot of uh, offense, especially with Underwood's system to place on two young guards to pretty much carry Illinois through through non-conference and through the Big Ten. And that, I think, can be very overhyped, that if DeSumo doesn't match the production that we think he can do, I think that we might be overhyping or setting him up to fail. But I don't think anybody's doubting his talent yet. But I think everybody is waiting to see, like, okay, how is he actually going to produce in college basketball? Is he going to match, like, a certain area, or is he going to act like a freshman coming in and have some growing pains? And that's been something that has happened to Illinois, a lot, especially last year. People thought, Mark Smith was going to be the same kind of guy who's Mr. Basketball in Illinois, who's, going to, who's a, a Illinois guy who picked, who chose to go to Illinois, and he averaged not even five points a game last year, and he had a lot of struggles and looked uncomfortable on the court a lot of times, according to some writers. So I think we're not overhyping his talent, but I think we might be overhyping like how much he'll be able to help, especially with the mark that Trent Frazier made last year. Well, and the one thing I just want to clarify is I'm not saying overhyped for listeners out there who might need the clarification. Not trying to say we're overhyping his talent, just where you get any new person coming into a team and it's like, this is what we expect. This is how many games we're going to win. And then maybe it doesn't end up kind of affecting our win-loss column like we thought it would have. You know, you look at Illinois basketball and it has been it's been so mediocre for so many seasons mm-hmm. now. And we I mean we were talking about it before we we came on the podcast today. I mean 2005 is so far gone in the mm-hmm. rearview mirror and yeah. Pat I think you were even saying that people really are kind of sick of, you know, talking about and going back and talking about 2005 because it's over, it's gone. Uh, yeah. They've they've now gone through so many head coaches. They've gone through so many schemes, so many okay, we think we've got it. And then they don't. And so many different new bursts of energy. And now you've got Brad Underwood. He's going to be in his second season. He won four games in the conference last year. Yes, you can you can give him the credit that a lot of those losses were close losses, but you don't get any victories for close losses. There's not a you got five close losses in the close loss column. You don't have that, but Illinois should. Uh, because of what they did last year, they would have had a lot more uh, good numbers to look mm-hmm. at. But this year, is 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 this the year, and I know it's just year two, but is this the year that, that there's going to be an expectation that Illinois basketball is in the middle of the pack? And I'm not, I'm not even talking about competing at the top, just competing in the middle, competing with the teams like the Indianas, the Penn States, the Maryland's. I mean, Penn State was better this year, but this past year. But 
is is this the year that Illinois can make a jump, or are they still a year, a couple of years away from being able to really gel together? Especially, Pat, especially after what you brought up, that so many people have either left Illinois via going to the draft, or have left Illinois going to another team via the via transfer, because that's also making it very difficult for this team to mesh, to gel, and really get it together. Honestly, I think we're. We're at least one year or two years away from that. I would not put any stock into the season, especially because this is the first year that we're we're really seeing a Brad Underwood system of where he wants to go small mostly. As I talked about earlier, he really admires Villanova, and he, he specifically said, oh, I like how they can put three-point guards out there and play small and really stretch the floor, and that's how I kind of want to play. So this is going to be the first year that we're going to really see Underwood basketball where – He's going to play small more often and not have a big guy out there, which is fine. And like that, if that's what he wants to do, I hope he does that well. But it's also raises a big question of like, okay, is that going to work in the Big Ten? I, I, I'll be honest with you, Pat. I don't. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I don't think it is. I, I, I just don't think that that's going to work in the Big Ten. I don't think going completely small, especially if you're. I mean, you look at, and I guess, I guess this would have been more towards last year you know you go towards uh, and play a team like Purdue and I know it's Purdue and they're on different ends of the spectrum in the Big Ten but you're not going to have a ton of success then playing against Purdue you're you're not going to be able to do anything down low and if your outside shot isn't working or your mid-range jumpers aren't working and you can't get you can't pound anything in the paint you're really in a tough spot and you're and you're, you're backing yourself into a corner is what I'm saying and I know that that's one mm-hmm. that's one instance and that's one team like I mentioned on the other side of the spectrum very good to not so great but you're you're just kind of putting yourself in a hole, I think. See, I'm on the other side of it where I could care less about the big man. And the reason why is I know college basketball is different than the NBA. In the NBA, we're already seeing it. Like the big man, the five position is already faded out. Like you could put a smaller, a small ball sure. five, like a Draymond Green. So for me, the thing I look at it, and this is my theory with it, is just look at last year's Final Four As an example, Loyola, Chicago, Michigan, Villanova, and Kansas. And Pat can fill me in on the Kansas part, but I know for a fact Villanova wasn't known for a big guy. Michigan, yeah, they had Mo Wagner, but is he really a big guy? No, he's not that big of a guy. He's a standard power forward. Most of it, though, was Abdul Rahman and Charles Matthews and the wings and guards that they had. And then Loyola Chicago, yeah, it was mostly the tournament that I watched Loyola Chicago. Didn't watch them throughout the How season. How dare you? Because I dare wasn't you a Rambler guy. Throughout the but throughout the tournament, it was their guards that were blowing everything up. And the thing I see from tournament to tournament to tournament, the thing that we even talk about when we preview the tournament each and every year is who's got the best guards. Because whoever has the best guards, they're going to give you a chance to win. And the thing that I look at is I don't care if we go perfect in the Big Ten. I just want a winning record so that maybe we finish in the top four, top five. Top four would be ideal because then we get a bye for the conference tournament, and that would be kind of nice. However, I don't need to finish number one in the conference tournament. I want to be set up nicely for the NCAA well, let, let tournament. Let me tell you, you're not going to finish number in the, one in the conference tournament. No, don't we're worry not. About it. And I, I'm, I'm kind of on the same thing that Pat's on where – Maybe two, three years, because I heard this 
way back when Tim Beckman, I think it was his first or second season at Illinois. And I was writing for writing a line I um, on fansighted.com. And they were talking about one of my writers said, cause he lived down in Champaign. He goes, you know what, from what everyone's talking about last year or the first year was we lost ugly, didn't win a game. Then the next year was we lost games, but at least they were close. He's like, then this next year, we're hoping that the progression is win a couple games and still be kind of bad. And then that fourth season is we go balls out and there we go. And I think Illinois is in the same area of Underwood's first year. He didn't have his guys. And let's be completely honest. John Gross, although I love John Gross, did not set up a good transition recruiting wise into Brad Underwood. When Bruce Weber pushed out the door and John Gross came in with his guys, second round of the tournament before we lost that uh, Jim L- uh, the Larinaga Miami team in the second round. Then after that, it was NIT or nothing. We had NIT for three years, one year without. Brad Underwood with John Gross's guys, most of them were transferring. They were like, I want to get out of here. The only guys that really stayed were you had – um, Aaron Jordan and Trent Frazier that were the only guys that pretty much stayed after the gross leaving. And so me, all right, we're getting that first wave in to Sumu's one. What are we going to do that next year? And to me, it's this year, like Pat said, I am kind of throwing this season away. Although I would like, if we won some games next year's the season where I'm like, okay, I know we're not going to be number one in the big 10, but I at least want to compete, and maybe next year is the year where we crack the tournament in some way. And, Pat, I've got one more thing, and then I want you to jump in. What happens, though, if the plan, the path, Mm -hmm. doesn't work out that way? What if it's another four-year experiment, quote-unquote, experiment, like it kind of was with John Gross, and in four years, Illinois is sitting in the same spot wondering the same questions, thinking the same things. What happens then? And I'm not saying it will. Most likely it doesn't. But what happens at that point? Illinois basketball will have repeated the same thing Mm -hmm. two or three times over, and and then you're left sitting with nothing yet again. And before Pat jumps in, I'll give you the simple answer. If that happens again, all eyes turn to Josh Whitman because guy who hired Lovey. So far, not really working out. I hope it does, but so far, not really working out like we want. And if Underwood doesn't work out, then the eyes turn to Josh Whitman. And it's with me, I'd be like, well, okay, if these coaches aren't being good, then you're the one hiring them. That's who I would focus on. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, I got to completely agree with that because the whole reason Whitman was brought in after Mike Thomas was to help not only just write the organizational culture in the athletic farm, but his job, and he said it his first day, and he has said it every day since he's been athletic director, is that he wants wants football to succeed and he wants basketball to succeed. Specifically with basketball, if they're sitting in that same situation, you can't really make a case for Brad Underwood to keep his job, and you can't really make a case for Josh Whitman's job security to not be in question with that. So I really don't think it will – come to that but i that that would be that would suck to be in as an illinois fan that would that situation would really suck if you go four years and you're not any better then that's just another failed hire for illinois basketball and that would really really suck and 
I, I just want to jump in on something mm-hmm. that's not necessarily Illinois basketball, but it is still Illinois. Illinois Illinois football for just a quick second. Yep. I was at an Illinois football game last year against Rutgers. Rutgers sucks. Mm-hmm. Okay? We all know it. Rutgers knows it. Mm-hmm. It was so pathetically sad in that stadium. Oh, I know. There's no yeah. there's no energy. There's none. Mm-hmm. There is none. I mean, the you, you, they couldn't the, the the student section couldn't even form an eye after halftime. I, there were not enough people <laughs> there. So what I'm saying is, is why aren't they looking at him right now? Mm-hmm. They looking at the AD right now to say, hey, maybe this lovey again. I'm going to say experiment because we you went and you got somebody from the NFL who is probably the most meek and probably humble guy and maybe that's not what you needed you needed someone to light a fire under those guys' butts mm-hmm. on on Illinois football all i'm saying is that right now i feel like the culture at Illinois is so relaxed and laid back but not in a good way more of a eh we hope it'll happen and that's how i feel and i'm not saying that that's carrying over into the Brad Underwood basketball mm-hmm. regime but if if that's anything and i don't think the basketball games are certainly are not the same i think they're much more exciting than the football but they are if that's if that's anything yeah i thought so <laughs> but if that's anything like what football what is mm-hmm. that's sad that's not exciting one it's not good for the fans two how do the players get any energy off of that mm-hmm. they don't so what i'm saying right now is this culture for illinois sports in general the big sports mm-hmm. that we're looking at a football and basketball Maybe they're not being guided in the right direction well, right now. And the by thing, the, AD. the thing I'll jump in with, and Pat, then we're going to go to you. Is first off with that whole you bringing up the couldn't form an eye thing. I had that same rant. I think it was 2012 or 2013, whichever home season. We had a home game against Northwestern the week of Thanksgiving weekend, and I get it. Thanksgiving break, kids might have went home for. The week. How dare they go but, on? No, no, no. Not just it's that. a football well, game. Well, first off, I'm thinking, it's our, I'm thinking it's our biggest. Maybe it's just me. I know I didn't go to Illinois, so I'm one of those fans. But, <laughs> like, to me, Northwestern's my biggest rival, where I want to beat the snot on Northwestern each and every year. Chicago's team? I have no I hate that. I hate that so much. And, like, I know we get Northwestern fans that like the podcast. And I, 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 I almost, like, I'm sorry, not sorry, in a way. Because it's like, I hate your team. There's no way around it. I hate your team. I will always hate your team. (laughs) And there's no way I'm going to ever like your team. So that was a game where I saw that eye and I just, my blood started boiling. Because I'm like, how dare you? How dare you put that up? Even though we got crushed that game and the Wildcats won. Here's my actual thought, though. With football, I think Lovey and right or wrong, the thing that hurts the football team is Lovey's entering his third year. So he actually won three games, then only won two. Won two in conference, didn't win one the year after. So you regressed. This will be an important year. But I think to me, basketball is more of a pressure to do well than football. And the reason why I say that is because, Pat, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that program or the school in general has pumped so much money into that basketball program of recently more so just with the renovations to the State Farm Center, I think. I almost called it Assembly Hall because that's what it used mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, but I wish it was still Assembly Hall. I, I do too, Pat. I'm, I'm with you. But the State Farm Center, they pumped so much money into that 
that's where the bread and butter is. They can get by if basketball's good and then worry about football. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. There has been a, there have been a ton of renovations, both for football and for basketball. It's part of this, this humongous project trying to just pump as much energy into both. But for basketball specifically, they just opened up their new practice facility, which costs them a lot of money. So they're hoping that that adds another asset to them. But I will say for for Illinois athletics in general, or just for basketball specifically, the fan base of Illinois, as I've gone to school there, they need a reason to get excited and they need something to like attach onto. That's why I think when people were really excited about Ayu Desumu is like, they haven't had anything to be excited about in a very long time. It's, it's not fun to get excited about finishing last in your conference, mm-hmm. finishing or going first and out in the big 10 tournament. They didn't even make it. They didn't even play in March this year. Yep. They played in late February and they were bounced down. They couldn't even get to March, which is pretty bad. But I would say that, Fans of Illinois, they need a reason to be excited. They, you got to give them something. It's not going to be. It's never going to be as integrated into their culture as other Big Ten schools. So, you know, it's basketball is probably the one closest thing that they have where they can get excited about. And they did have really great turnouts this year, and they were they were really into basketball games, which I give them a ton of credit for because they didn't win a lot of those games. But I think they just need to give this time, and they have to get this going. And it's part of this huge process of just trying to get excitement and energy just back to champagne so they're not just thinking about 2005 over and over again and but it could, that can be tough because they haven't had a lot to cheer about in recent years and not, not going to the ncaa tournament gets very very old for mm-hmm. illinois and, and as a program that touts itself as one of the quote-unquote like historic basketball programs in terms of victories but it's it's tough when you've just been devoid of like something exciting for so long Last thing I'll say, and then Brandon will go for you for the absolute final word, is my last thing when it comes to is I'm bringing it back to Desumu and back to the expectations. And the one reason why I think there's a ton of fans out there and I'm with it that are excited for Desumu coming in is because so many times I've watched this basketball program get a guy. It started basically the first one I'm remembering is the more famous one of Cliff Alexander. But for the longest time, there have been huge Illinois prospects, most of them from the Chicagoland area, but there have been some from the Champaign area as well. It's like, you know what? Oh, we're really high on his radar. He's probably going to pick us. We're a hat on the table. And then for some reason, they end up not picking us for this or that. Or it's like they pick us, and then after a year or two, we change coaches, and then they transfer out. So for me, that's one of the things that – is building into the excitement is not only is he really good at basketball, but he's a kid from the Chicagoland area, from the state, and actually wants to make the team better. He wants to make his state's team better. Might not be his team because Northwestern thinks that they're the Big Ten team in Chicago, but that's (laughs) part of the reason why I think there's so much excitement about him. And I think that he'll be one of the main reasons not just this year, but next year for sure, if Illinois improves this year and next year. Illinois won four games in their conference last season. Four mm-hmm. and 14. Pathetic. You got to win against too, Notre Dame, too. But I'll say that. Too many of those games were so close. Games that Illinois was in. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, three-point games, one-point games, four-point games. Illinois should win seven to nine 
games in conference this year. Mm-hmm. I really think that there's no excuse if they don't. Well, three of them I, were overtime games too. I, I think. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's that's nice to know. That doesn't make any difference. No, I for know. Me. But I'm like, if um, you flip those, there you go. There's seven. But all I'm saying is that Illinois really has. I think an opportunity to be able to do that, to build off of some of the good things that they saw from last season, integrate these new guys in there, see how they do, see how they mesh, how they gel and see how long it maybe takes them to do that. If they continue to win their out of conference games, which obviously they won 10 of them last year, Mm -hmm. they should be able, they should be able to win seven to nine games in the conference and be in the middle of the pack. I, I really don't think that there's any excuse. And then in those, you know, two or three years down the road, we start to see them maybe uh, start to claw at the top. Well, Pat, I want to thank you for being on the podcast yet again. Another great topic from another one of our great patrons who helped support us. And you guys on YouTube can't see us, so everyone's an audio listener right now. Tell us what you guys think down below in the comment section. Illinois fans, are you excited? Are you not excited? What are you expecting from Illinois basketball this year, next year? Under Brad Underwood, let us know what you think down below in that comment section. If you want to be like Pat and be on the podcast, check out that Patreon link down below. Go and click it. Let's move on, Brandon, into our meat and potatoes part of the podcast. And we are beginning our Big 12 preview for the world of college football. We did our SEC preview. You guys should go check that out. We're on the Big 12 for the next two weeks. And we're going to start with the bottom feeders, as I'm going to call them. We'll do the bottom five this week. Next week, we'll do the top five in the Big 12. Here's the thing I want to ask you first about Kansas. This is a team just recently fired their AD, believe they have not hired a new AD to this point. They still have the interim AD doing all the work. How that relates to the football team, I want to ask you, what do you think is going to go on with Dave Beatty, the head coach of the Jayhawks. This is a guy entering his fourth year, but he's only 3-33 and 33 in his first three years at the head of the Jayhawk program. Ricky, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how David Beatty is still here. I'll, I mean, I'll just be flat-out honest. And people can say, well... You know, he's not working with a whole lot or, you know, he needed, you know, his time to be able to get to this point. Well, I mean, he has won three games over three seasons. They went one and 11 last year. They are not competitive. This team is in such disarray in terms of, I think, leadership at the top. And at the very top, it's the head coach. And. This is one of the things that we got into with Pat at the very beginning, touched on it just for a minute. Mm -hmm. It's culture. 18 to 22-year-olds, pretty much. If they don't feel like you're going in a direction where they're going to win, that they want to jump onto that, they don't want to be a part of that. They're not going to get behind you and buy in to your system, buy into what you're talking about, buy into your culture. And David Beatty has yet to establish that at Kansas. He hasn't done it. In three seasons, you've won three games. You have not done it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there needs to be somebody else. And yes, Kansas is always going to be the team that gets, I think, the short end of the stick because they're in a tough area recruiting-wise because you've got Oklahoma in the area, you've got uh, Big Ten schools that are trying to take your guys. Nebraska's a one Exactly. Close. And you're getting 
the leftovers. Mm-hmm. So yes, I get that it's difficult, but you need to try and bring somebody in who might be able to get some who might be able to get some name recognition out there mm-hmm. and steal away some of those players from the Nebraska's, from the uh Missouri's even, from um who was the other team that I, yeah. I said Oklahoma's and, and mm-hmm. Oklahoma State and stuff State. like that, Kansas State's. You need to bring in somebody who's going to be able to do that. And I think that that's where this preview really starts with Kansas. It's at the top. It's at the leader of this team, and it's the head coach. And David Beatty has failed as a head coach in three seasons. I'm going to be honest. Like I told Pat before we started recording was kind of talking to us in between segments um, before we got off the phone with him. And he's a Jayhawk guy. Um, for football and basketball, too. And one of the things that he said was, first, he asked us to go light on the Jayhawks because, like you said, he said, hey, Beattie hasn't had a ton of help. But I kind of feel sorry for David Beattie a little bit because, A, you're not getting help. And in any job, you need help. Like, you're not going to be able to do the job to the best of your abilities if you're not getting some help from the higher-ups. But I see this season as... David Beatty's getting fired at the end of the year. Like, I see no other outcome with him keeping his job because, A, I don't see Kansas winning a lot of games this year, and if they do, it might be two at the most. And the thing I look at is whatever new AD comes in, it's going to be a Josh Whitman situation that we saw at Illinois. I'm coming in. This guy ain't winning. We're getting him out. I'm getting my guy in because if you're going to lose games— I'm just going to get my guy in because my guy, I at least am going to have confidence that it's my guy and he's going to win because I handpicked him. But if he's losing, I can almost live with it. But at least I know I picked him with you. I don't really know because I didn't pick you. The thing that also confuses me about Kansas football, the last coach. So the last coach they had with a winning record, do you want to know how long it's been since they've had a coach with a winning record at their program? Was it 2009? 2009. Ever since Mark Mangino, Mark Mangino who was there from 02 to 09, who had a 51% win percentage. He's the last one. The other one, Turner Gill, 20.8. Charlie Weiss, 18.5. Clint Bowen, 21. He only had eight games, but he was 12.5%. And now you have BD, who is a, what, an 8.3% of his games going 3 for 33. So at the end of the year, I kind of feel sorry, like I said, for BD, because if you're not getting help, you're not going to be successful, especially when you play in a really tough football conference. But also, it's one of those things where new AD is going to come in. I'm assuming he's getting fired as soon as that AD steps through the door, maybe not immediately if it happens mid-season, but by the end of the year, he will be fired and the search will be starting next year for Kansas. Talking about their football, though, one big thing, one big choice BDS to make is at quarterback. Right now, a little bit of a conversation at quarterback a little bit. Carter Stanley's one guy. Peyton Bender is another guy. You had Stanley that took a hold of the job late 2016 and then entered um, 17 on the right track. And then you also have um, Cozart, Montrell Cozart, who is a transfer from Boise State. So I'm going to put you in the shoes of David Beatty. 
If you had to pick one of these guys to try to save your job, who is it? Because really, be, that's what he's doing. It's going to be none of those guys. It's going to be their JUCO transfer, okay. Miles Kendrick, um, who's coming from uh, San Mateo. Mm-hmm. So the reason that I would say him, while he is smaller in size uh, at 5'9", 193 pounds, he's a guy who can do it both ways. He mm-hmm. can throw it. He's got a good, strong, accurate arm, and he's also a guy who can move the ball down the field with his legs. And that's something that neither Bender nor Stanley, I don't think, offer to the team. So that's why right away Miles Kendrick is is the guy that I'm looking at. And he was actually ranked the number 12 dual threat quarterback from the junior college ranks. So that's that's pretty good. That's a guy who I would be comfortable leaning on to go out there and move the ball down the field for this football team, a team that has really struggled in offensive efficiency. I mean, they are the least efficient offense in a conference that, to win, you need to have an efficient offense. Mm -hmm. So the reason I also like Kendrick is because he's got three years of eligibility remaining. He can play for a while, and that might be the way that they set this Kansas team up. If he's able to come out there and actually be really solid – they might be able to have their quarterback. And then, with a healthy Khalil Herbert in the backfield, they might have their running back. Mm-hmm. And then if they can get consistency from the receiver position, those guys to step up, they might have an offense. And that could be exciting for Kansas well, football. I mean, the big thing about the offense, too, is what are we like? We've talked about this with so many teams. So many teams, question mark, offensive line. And it's true for Kansas, oh, again, because... If they don't have a strong offensive line, I don't care who you put at quarterback. It's not going to help you in the end, especially with the offense. If you're trying to get it out to receivers, you're trying to make running lanes for your running back. But here's the thing I think where the Kansas football program is in virtually this year. And it's going to go back to Beattie being fired at the end of the year. That's my prediction. And the reason is I'm reading here that – Beattie was brought in originally because he's a great recruiter. His reputation was he is a phenomenal recruiter. He's shown it, too. Very, and this is another thing Pat said, a lot of parallels between Kansas football and Illinois football, a team that we just talked about in our first segment. But a guy who's brought in is a great recruiter. Although it hasn't shown up in the win column, last year they did some good things recruiting. For most of the year— they were a top 25 recruiting class. However, they ended up uh, 62nd, I believe, in the 24-7 sports rankings, 8th in the Big 12. So for me, here's what I'm thinking this season. The decision to make it quarterback, that's going to help decide what your team does this year. But also, you have guys like Anthony Williams. You guys got guys like um, Corinne Harris who are coming in and these are freshmen, how much are you going to put on this recruiting class, especially the freshmen, to come in and produce this year? Are they going to have a little extra pressure because it turns into if we don't win some more games, I am going to get fired and I won't be able to then recruit that next class and build off of it? Will it be a kind of little too late scenario of like, man, If this class just came in last year and they were sophomores this year, then it would have been a real different situation in Beattie's head going forward 
that, hey, these guys were just too young and I couldn't put that much pressure on them in the football program. Maybe, but let me tell you, this is in as much flack that I gave Beatty at the beginning. He, mm-hmm. he deserves it. He's been terrible. But this is probably the best team that he's going to be working with right mm-hmm. now because it's the most experienced team yep. all around the football. I think they had maybe nine total returning starters last year. They were playing with nine, mm-hmm. not, not even nine starters. They were playing with nine returning returners last year with two of them being starters. This year they're returning with many more. They've got... A lot. I think they've got a lot more depth than they've seen in years past, and that's going to be something that's going to help them. They've got a, a, a defense that I think has shown some improvement, but but for me, for this team to click at all, defense is always going to be. And I'm going to say this multiple times, so please don't get mad at me throughout all of all of the uh, videos. It's an afterthought. It's a bend but don't break with mm-hmm. all the defenses. Bend, 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 bend. Oh, almost there. Oh, we didn't break. Though. You're talking just in the Big Twelve. Uh, just conference. in the Big Twelve. That is that is the way that defense, whether or not it, mm-hmm. they want to play it that way, that's what ends up happening. If you can have a lively offense, you can win some games in the Big Twelve. You can win some games. You can you can hang with some teams. So for me, the biggest thing is coming down to something that we already touched on, and it's the offensive line. When you have 10 different guys start on the offensive line at least one time throughout the year with different combinations, that is difficult. That is very hard to get any consistency. They give up 29 sacks last season. Mm -hmm. That's also difficult for a quarterback to feel comfortable back there, whoever it is. Offensive line is going to be the key to a successful season, and a successful season may only be five wins for Kansas, but a successful season, <laughs> what? They're not even going to get there, I'm telling you. I, I I'm know, looking at I the know. schedule. I'm trying to be hopeful. They're I'm get- trying to be hopeful for Kansas and for Pat. For audio listeners, they can't see, but I see two wins on this schedule. I'll, like, I'll be completely honest. I see two, and I'm trying to see more. I see Nickel State at one. I see maybe I see like two, and I'm trying, I'm trying to, to see, see more. more. Like I'm trying in my head to be like, oh, maybe they can beat this Big Twelve team, and then I go, no, they can't. So this is what I think for the season. They're going to get one win for sure. They'll beat Nickel State. If you lose to Nickel State, pack it in. The year's over. Just lose every game. <laughs> but then there's their third game when they play Rutgers. I don't think you'll beat the Chippewas. In at Central Michigan, that game on the road, they beat you at home last year. I don't think you're going to their place and beating them. Rutgers the, is the interesting one. Maybe you can steal a win at home against the Rutgers program. That isn't that. It They're isn't not good. Much better. They're not good. So maybe that's a game you could steal. The rest of the Big Twelve, you pretty much got blown out in most conference games except for one in the final scorecard, and that was Kansas State. The thing I'm attributing that to, it was a home game. Looking at your home games in conference, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I know they lost two of their biggest weapons in James Washington and Mason Rudolph. You ain't going to beat them. (laughs) Then the next home game in conference, TCU. Have you heard of Gary Patterson? You're not going to beat them. Then there's the key one. The last one's Texas. You're not going to beat them. Texas is going to be one of the top teams this year in the Big 12, I think. The Iowa State one. If there's any game in the conference that they could potentially steal— it's that home game on November 3rd. However, I don't see it. Two wins at most, one to two wins, 
If you finish with zero, then BD doesn't even deserve to have a job. You got to finish with at least one, two if you're really lucky, and that's all I'm seeing for the Jayhawks this year. I still, I still think though, if if we're being if we're being very realistic, mm-hmm. of two, maybe, maybe three? three, I still don't see BD keeping his job. No, and and and, and while yes, this may be. The, the the deepest roster he's had to work with it may be the most experienced roster he had to mm-hmm. he's had to work with you know we're going to see we're going to see what happens here but this again they're not settled on the offensive line again mm-hmm. like like we mentioned uh, Khalil Herbert is very good very good when he's given the football and when he's healthy i mean he struggled with injuries last year he's got to stay healthy he has got to stay healthy but also too is Beattie wants to throw the ball all the time. Mm-hmm. And hopefully he now has a guy in Miles Kendrick who can be uh, consistent in doing that because he's got, he's got Meacham as, a, as his offensive coordinator, a, a guy who want, who likes to be able to get crafty and, and be able to air the ball out and, and, and throw it down the field. But, y- you know, you also have to go to kind of what your, your strengths are, and mm-hmm. hopefully that will be able to be one of them this season. And then again, I know on the on, on the defensive side of the football, there, there's there's got to be an upgrade from from where they were last year. I mean, they just got torched. I mean, it was like a, a fun thing for them to do. They go out and let's get torched again today, guys. All right, we will. And they never they never uh, disappointed. But I, I think that that's something that also uh, has to be a little bit better. Kansas football, and guys, I'm sorry, I'm talking to you right now, Kansas. Jayhawk football fans. Maybe the best thing you did last year was get inside Baker Mayfield's head, mm-hmm. uh, and then a win. You know, it was oh, yeah, like get inside right. a Baker. It was like get, get inside a Baker's head. I forgot about that. And then a win. Like that mm-hmm. was better than your win. But what do you think? And I know we're not necessarily turning it on to you yet. I'm not. I'm not sure. But yeah. what we're has close. what has to happen? What has to happen mm-hmm. to get back to Kansas? Football being good. What has to happen to get back to 2009? What has to happen to get back to? Fi- what do you want? What do you want to see? Because I, I, I don't even. I don't even know. I, I personally, I don't even. Know. I look at this, and you don't have much to work with. You've won three games in the last three seasons. How do you stay a fan? I mean, it is. It's hard. I, I just want to know because it is. Kansas football is one of the most difficult programs to look at in terms of Power Five. It's very frustrating because you like to think that things change. You go out and you recruit different guys and you try and recruit better and you get the same result every year and it's really hard to to watch. Here's the thing I'm going to – this is my closing thing for Kansas is when it comes to the Big 12, how you win in the Big 12 is you have the best offense. Whoever has the best offense is going to win. Look at last year. Last year, there was kind of an enigma to it, but the best offense won the conference. Oklahoma had the most yards out of any football team in D1 last year. They finished in first. Now, the second-place team in TCU, they were third in the Big 12, I believe. Let me do a little bit of due diligence. No, they were actually fifth, fifth in the conference. However, their game against number two, who finished number three in Oklahoma State, that was a very close game between Oklahoma State and them where they got the win. I believe that game was in Stillwater that the Horned Frogs got that win. But all three of those programs, the Cowboys, the Horned Frogs, the Sooners, all had solid quarterbacks last year 
running their offenses. Plus, TCU, they're a very well-coached team, and Gary Patterson does have a little bit of a defensive mind back there for TCU. I just feel like Kansas is in another season where it's just a little bit too late, and because of the circumstances with the AD getting fired, BD is going to be out of a job because someone's going to come in and go, whoa, whoa, five five wins in four years? Sorry, not sorry, buddy. You got to pack your bags and go. And Beatty will be looking for a new job in college football next year. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. What you think about Kansas football? What do you think about Dave Beatty? What are the Jayhawks going to do this year? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Brandon, let's move on though from one bad team in the Big 12 last year to another team that only won one game last year. We're looking at the Baylor Bears, and the thing I want to ask you to start is this will be Matt Rule's second year, I believe, second or third year at the head of the Baylor Bears. In your mind, what does Coach Rule need to do to start the 2018 season on a better note than losing all your games but only beating Kansas, which is it really a victory because you beat Kansas? Well, I can already tell you that Matt Rule has started off on a – really good note because his first full year recruiting effort it brought in a top 30 class Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's going to be something really good going forward for him this Baylor team was plagued with so much controversy and so much crap and things outside of football Mm -hmm. and now those are in the rearview mirror And Matt Rule, I think, is very happy to be able to move on from that era and move on with guys that he knows are about Baylor football and are focused on Baylor football and being, hopefully, upstanding citizens uh, for, for, for Baylor football, which I guarantee they will be. I think that that's, first and foremost, number one. And he's done that. He's come in, he's had a really good recruiting class, and... Now, hopefully, we're going to see the fruits of that labor. And again, it's it's been a it's been a bit of a difficult ride. And what I thought was interesting with what Matt Rule did last year is really he just played a lot of guys who he saw going forward in, in, with the program. You know, guys who weren't necessarily from the old regime. He was he was playing a lot of young guys. He was he was going with a lot of inexperienced talent Mm -hmm. but now they've got a year of experience or at least a couple of games of experience under their belt coming in here to year two of Matt Rule's rule and I think we're looking at a Baylor team that could be solid this year and and could be going to a bowl game if everything works out correctly and the first thing that I would be saying to look at is watch for Charlie Brewer to come into his own this season because a guy who ended up the starter at the end of last season had some really, really good moments. Mm-hmm. And I liked what I saw from him. And I think we've got a quarterback of the future here for Baylor. Let's put it this way, too, with quarterbacks. And this is not exactly a good thing. Since Bryce Petty was the starter for the Baylor Bears in 2013-2014, the Baylor Bears have had six now. Corey Brewer is going to be the sixth different starter at the position since 2013-2014. To me, the biggest thing this offense needs to do 
to win more games next year, don't turn over the football. Yeah. That's it. Like they, sec- they were a the football. plus minus of negative 14 last year. Negative 14. That's not too good. I know what some might be saying. Ah, but Ricky, if the defense can get a little turnovers, that'll upset. No, just don't turn over the football it's, and you'll minus, be fine. Minus 14. You can't put yeah. that on the defense. And that was all the way I look at it was they were all interceptions in my mind because you're minus 14. You threw 14 interceptions. Now is... Are we expecting Brewer to go out there and not throw a single pick? No, that'd be that'd be ludicrous. Who do you think w- who he is? Tom Brady, who barely throws interceptions at the NFL level? The thing I think is if you secure the ball, and also with this year, you got to look at Matt Rule. This will be a this is going to be an interesting year for him. And you kind of touched on it. Is do we see the he implemented the culture year one? Does that continue with the young players moving forward into year two? That could do that, but will that necessarily be wins in the win column? And for me, the thing that I look at last year was you look at their out-of-conference games and Liberty, you should have won that one. You lost that one 48-54. to You should have won that one. You lose to UTSA, probably another one you wish you should have had because you only lost to them 17 to 10. Like going into last season, those were two games that you and I were like, they should win them easily, even if it is Matt Rule's first year. You got to come into this year, you got to set the tone against Abilene Christian and then set the tone against UTSA. Those right there can be two easy wins. Plus your easy win against Kansas, because I don't think that they're going to come into Waco this year and beat you guys. That, in my mind, you have a three-win cushion, hopefully, coming into this year. It's just, what are you going to do against the rest of the Big 12 and Duke, which is your only other well, non-conference Quite honestly, game? Baylor could start 4-2 and two in their first six. Mm-hmm. They could start 4-2 and two in their first six, and if they do that... A bowl game in Matt Rule's second year may not be out of the question. Mm -hmm. You end the season with Texas Tech, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a toss-up for me. On a neutral site. Uh, So let's say that one could go to Baylor. Mm -hmm. There's five. And then one more in the middle of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is is Iowa State on that schedule? It's on the road, though. It's in Ames this year. Like, See, that's the thing is... You have to, to me, four and two in your first six games, you're happier than a pig and slop. However, you look at the games after that point, at Texas, not a chance. At West Virginia, I'll probably lean towards West Virginia at this point but, because it is on the road. But but did you see what happened in that West Virginia game last year? It was West, a tough one. 38-36, mm-hmm. West Virginia almost let them come back. They mm-hmm. were up 38-13. to So we'll put that one in the maybe pool. But right now, because it's in West Virginia, I might lean towards the Mountaineers. Oklahoma State, I don't think you beat them, even though it's in Waco. Then to me it becomes Iowa State, really what Iowa State team it's are gonna we going to get? Up. Was last year a one-hit wonder, or was last year the beginning of something special for the Cyclones? That's basically how I feel with them. TCU, I don't think you'll beat TCU. And then Texas Tech, I don't know how to gauge them really this year in the win-loss column because they're a team that's not just losing their starting quarterback from last year, 
but they're a team that went three and six in the conference, and they're a team that could be on up. I'm going to say upset alert for Baylor to where if everything goes right, they could be could be in a bowl game this year. Texas Tech is always going to be one of those teams that you know their offense mm-hmm. un- un- under. Um, uh, Ryan Gosselin. I was going to say Ryan <laughs> under Ryan. I almost said Ryan Reynolds. I knew that wasn't Cliff, the right one. That, that, that wasn't the right Ryan under Ryan uh, Ryan Gosling, It's always going to be uh, <laughs> a, a, you know a good offense. Coach Gosselin. You always know it's going to be a, a, a good offense. That's mm-hmm. never never a question under um, Kingsbury's offense. But it's that it's that defense and what they're what they're going to going to look like if they make strides. Then I, I probably could put that one. Uh, more towards Texas Tech, but Baylor too. If they stay healthy defensively, I, I think that they could have themselves a, a decent defense this season as well. I, I really think, though, what you said at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's the turnovers. Yep, It is the turnovers, and it's in crucial situations. Mm-hmm. So where Charlie Brewer really seemed to have a tremendous success was on third and long. So he was 19 for 25, 216 yards, three TDs, two interceptions on third and seven or longer. You take away those interceptions, you make those conversions, you continue a drive, Mm -hmm. that changes things. You hold on to the football, running the football, and running back is is another area, you know, kind of right here. I think that's a kind of a big question. You've got five or six running backs on the roster, not necessarily sure which one you go with. But this is a team that has to be protective of the football. And if they're not, they're going to see another season Mm -hmm. like last year. They're going to fall into that same rut because they're not going to be able to move the ball and they're going to be stymied. And it's it, it as it always is. It's going to be a drive killer. And if you do, do that multiple mm-hmm. times a game, you will not stay in the ball game. Here's what I want to see this year. If I'm a Baylor fan, I want to see at least three wins. The games we have to win, no question, are the first two against Abilene Christian, and then also against UTSA. And we have to beat Kansas. We lose any of those games, I am pissed off. I am mad. Don't even come near me if I'm a Bears fan. However. The reason why I think in the end I'm only going to give them three years on the win or on the year in those three, three years games, on the win. Three years, three years on the win is what I'm going to give them. No, <laughs> three wins on the year is what I'm going to get them is because they have a very green team, and I'm not just talking about their football colors. They are a team that's going to be starting a lot of first and second year players because of everything that happened. Mm-hmm. So here's what I would want to see if I'm a Bears fan. Three wins in those three games, and then the games we talked about, Texas Tech, maybe Iowa State, maybe West Virginia. If we lose, wins would be great in those situations. Maybe I'll throw in Duke and Kansas State as well. Wins would be great, but as long as we can make those games close to where as a fan, I can feel like, all right, we had a young team this year, but this team hung with some teams, and we kept some games close. Next year, those guys get a year older. We bring in another recruiting class of Matt Rule. Next year is the year we really make a case of like, all right, we got our 
now upperclassmen leadership with those second-year players becoming third-year players, and now we make a run for a bowl game. I'm not talking Big 12 championship. Mm -hmm. I'm talking we make a run for six wins on the year and start to improve. Then that next year, if you do that and get to six wins next year, then the year after, you could be talking about, all right, let's go and compete for the Big 12 again. However, like we talked about with the Illinois segment, that's if everything goes to plan and nothing derails it. Exactly, exactly. And what's going to help that is a guy like Matt Rule, who's known for coaching fundamentals, Mm -hmm. who's known for coming in and just, it's the basics, guys. You know, we're not trying to get too, too crazy with any schemes. We're just trying to play good, clean football. You know, whereas a Jimbo Fisher system is Mm going to be very complex it's it's very scheme heavy and got to be into the playbook like you're taking that sucker home and studying it every night not that you're not doing that with Baylor but it's it's more of a we just have to go out there and play football and not turn the ball over and we're Mm going to be okay and if they can tighten up against the run defensively you said it there's going to be guys who are going to be younger they're going to make mistakes you're going to have to understand that that's going to happen but if they can learn quickly on the fly and guys who came who 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 came in last year who started last year hopefully they are in a better position this season and can make more of an impact early on in the season so they're seeing really good things happening at the end of the year well, and the one thing that, and Baylor fans out there, let me know if I am wrong with this, if there was any news about it. I haven't seen any news about it. The one thing that's going to be kind of a hinge in that quarterback decision is um, Brewer's burnt shoulder, where I'm reading right here, Rule revealed that quarterback Charlie Brew, who took over for the starter late last year, um, will be limited, was limited in their spring practices as he was recovering from a, sh- a shoulder injury and burnt in his shoulder. So I haven't seen anything of any updates on that. In the fall, it'll be interesting to see how that develops because let's say he does stumble because of that in the fall. Will that give an opportunity to an old early enrollee from Arkansas, Gary Ban- Bohannon, I think, Gary Bohannon, give him an opportunity to be the starter for Baylor, if Brewer is unable to go, I haven't heard anything that Brewer that that's affected Brewer here mm-hmm. at, at, at this point. Haven't heard anything that that could keep him out. But uh, Bohannon, a, a four-star recruit, a guy who's uh, very capable behind him. It'll be interesting to see if anything happens there. But I think if healthy. I think Brewer is your guy. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys expect from Baylor this year. Matt Rule's second year in Waco as the head coach. Let us know how many wins and losses you expect, who are you excited for, who are you not excited for on this Baylor team. Let us know down below in that comment section. And, Brandon, let's move on into the next team we're talking about, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, and this one's easy. So the first one, first question I want to ask you with them is in the Baylor preview, we kind of mentioned their coach, Ryan Gosling, who he's got experience, man. He played Allen and remember the Titans. Well, in the Baylor kn- preview. Yeah. You we said talked we about mentioned it. their coach and then you said Ryan Gosling. Yeah. We mentioned Ryan Gosling, who is Texas Tech's. I was making a Ryan Gosling joke. It's Kiff Kingsbury, who's the Texas Tech coach. We mentioned him in I'm the s- Baylor preview. I'm still confused. Okay. So I'll, I'll say it this way Cliff Kingsbury, the Texas Tech coach. I tried making a joke. It just went. Whoosh, no, no, no. Right no, no, no. I, I knew what you were trying to do, but yeah. it just it, instead of going, it fell. 
flat. Yeah, well, we mentioned him in the Baylor preview. <clears throat> I want to start with him first in the Texas Tech preview because this is a coach where he's been there for, what, one, two, three, four, five years. This will be a sixth year at the head of Texas Tech. Only have won six, six or more games three times. Last year, yeah, they got a big upset win over Texas, but then lost to Southern Florida or South Florida the next week. I want to ask you with him, is this going to be another year if he goes six wins, if he goes five wins, if he goes four wins, because four is the lowest he's ever done at Texas Tech, will this be another year of, yeah, we're going to keep him, and then next year the seat gets hot? Or this year, could that hot seat start to heat up under Cliff Kingsbury. You know what, Ricky? I don't think so. And you want to know why? Because I I think that Texas Tech is too afraid to go out and get anyone Mm -hmm. else because they're afraid they won't be able to find someone who runs an offense as well as Kingsbury does. It's funny that you say that, where you say runs it as well, because this was a uh, calculation done by Bill Connolly of SB Nation. 69% of our they have to, they got to find a way to replace 69% of their offensive production from last year. I know. They have to find I'm just going to round up. They have to find 70%, almost 3 fourths, almost 3 fourths. I'm rounding way up there by 5 more percent, but they almost have to find a big chunk of their offensive production that is bye-bye, not coming back this year cuz they're either graduated or gone pro. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how they end up doing that. They lose Nick Shimanek and his almost four thousand mm-hmm. passing yards. They lose Justin Stockton at running back, his over a thousand all purpose yards. They lose four starting receivers. They've got plenty of new guys to come in and slot in at re- and in at receiver, but they have all different levels of experience. I mean, it's it's going to be a a kind of a potentially a different look. Texas Tech Red Raider offense, mm-hmm. at least to start, because we may have some growing pains in the first couple of games. Then that's I that that's why I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. because we may not see Texas Tech come right out of the gate and score fifty points in the first two to three games where they have done so so many times before. Well, and the interesting thing you bring up Simonak, who he's gone. So now it's basically we got to find his replacement. And right now, it looks like McLean Carter is going to be the guy. He's a guy who had kind of had the job a little bit um, and is the favorite to start in the spring for 2018. But basically, they have a decision. Well, Cliff has a decision. He's got to go with either Carter. You've got a sophomore in Jet Duffy. Then you've got Juco transfer Nick Gerber sophomore Colt Garrett, and then true freshman Alan Bowman. For me, the little prediction I'm going to say is I think McLean Carter eventually is the starter in the fall because I think what will happen is unless one of these other guys, mainly I'm looking at Duffy and I'm looking at Gerber, if one of those two guys really impresses this spring and in early camp in the fall, unless they overseed expectations, Cliff is going to go with the safer choice, the guy who knows the offense better, who he's more comfortable with, in McLean Carter to be the starter for the Red Raiders to start the year. Yeah, I think McLean Carter right now has the best odds. Um, 
And it's it's funny because he actually made a start over Shimanek mm-hmm. last year in the Texas game. The upset win. It was it was the upset win, but the only reason yeah. that they ended up getting the win is because Shimanek came back in and yeah. saved the day. Because Here Carter, come to save the day. for whatever reason, got that start and mm-hmm. just looked completely dazed. Like, one sure what was going on. Mm-hmm. And certainly was not ready for, for that game time action. But I, I think that when you give a guy an entire offseason to prepare for, for these games to be the starter, and you're not giving him, you know, just a couple of days... That's going to be a whole lot, a whole lot of a different story. But you look at the the other guys. I think that uh, you look at Jet Duffy, uh, a guy who certainly had some good throws in the spring. Uh, true freshman Alan Bowman also had good throws during mm-hmm. the spring. So this isn't a closed quarterback competition. This is still one doors open. But I think right now McLean Carter is the favorite. Doesn't mean he can't be unseated from that favorite position, but right mm-hmm. now I'd, I would definitely give it to him, and and maybe only because he he really has that kind of game action. Even though maybe it wasn't good, but you can still learn from that, make changes and everything like that. So I'd say he's 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 got to be the guy right now, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't change. And this may be something even on for 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 this quarterback competition, whoever they go with on opening day may not be the same guy that they that mm-hmm. they go with in week three. This may be one of those competitions that continues and goes back and forth. Well, and this year in total is, I feel like it's going to be an interesting year for Texas Tech because it's not, their biggest question mark to me is what we've already said. Because you have to play so, so much on offense, you have to find a new starting quarterback but also find weapons, either running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, guys for this now quarterback to throw to. You are losing, let's be honest, most of your offense at close to 70% of that offensive production. And I look at the schedule this year, and it virtually becomes how many games are they going to win this year. And with what they are losing, what they are bringing back, the quarterbacks that they have, and Basically, if, if McLean Carter is the starter, if I'm a Texas Ra- Red Raider football fan, I'm going, all right, I guess he's our starter because he didn't really show me much in that Texas game, like you said. The only reason they won the game is because Nick Simonak, basically, I think it was Mighty Mouse is the theme I was singing with the, here I come to save the day. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what you were saying, so I just kind of went over. Yeah, it was Mighty Mouse, really old cartoon even before I was born as I pushed the mic. I went to do this, and I just pushed the mic right at you. But I look at the schedule. I'll give you a win over Lamar. Lamar, uh, Not Lamar Jackson, just Lamar. I'll give you a win over Houston. The only reason, but that Houston game, though, I want to put an asterisk next to because, yeah, you beat them on the road last year, but you only beat them by three, and you're losing 70. You know, screw it. I'm going to give you a loss for that one. However, the asterisk is still there. That one's a toss-up. They could win. But I'm probably leaning towards a loss after just talking myself out of it. You skipped over Ole Miss. I'm getting to them. I'm getting to them. So Lamar's a win. Houston's a possible win. Kansas-Baylor. I got three to four wins right out of the gate. Other than that, I don't see a win. 
early on, I was when we were talking Old Miss, I talked in that one like, oh, that's going to be an interesting game. But I'm more confident in that Old Miss team with Jordan Te'amu back there than I am with any of the quarterbacks for Texas Tech. So for me, I feel like how it's going to go, SEC spanks the Big 12 in that game. You win the next two, and then it's like, great, we beat Kansas, we beat Baylor. The question is, do you have another Texas in you? Do you have another game this year, whether it be Texas, whether it be Oklahoma, because both of those games are at home this year, whether it be a West Virginia, Oklahoma State, do you have it in you to upset one of these other Big 12 teams to then go to five win? Hell, if you could upset two of them and go to six wins, that would be beautiful, but I don't see it. I see three to four wins being what I expect. The flip game being that Houston game. The only way they go to four to five is if they have one more upset game like they did against Texas last year. I could see six. Lamar and Houston. I could see West Virginia. Mm -hmm. You're not high on West Virginia. No. No, I'm really not. Not at at this point. I'm not. Uh, Kansas. Iowa State, I know that's one. That one's on the road, but mm-hmm. that could be another one. And then Baylor at home to end the season. And that that Baylor game is really kind of a toss. Mm-hmm. It's a toss up for me, but. And I'm not saying that they that they will win these games. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I could see six and Ole Miss, maybe, maybe. So right now I would see. Do you I, have I would more say maybe seven. Do you have more confidence in Ole Miss, or do you have more confidence in the Red Raiders? Well, in terms of what I've seen, I know it's from, early. In terms of what I've seen from what Tayamu can mm-hmm. do and what he's been able to produce based off of McLean Carter, McLean Carter, who was a deer in the headlights, yeah, I, I got to go with Ole Miss and uh, mm-hmm. Jordan Tayamu. But we're still long. See, that, that's why I love these previews, but, but at the same them. time, yeah, I don't hate them, but they, they don't offer everything that it could be because mm-hmm. within the week's that le- and I guarantee it. This is another reason why I find these previews to be just hy- hysterical, because we do this now. Mm-hmm. In about two months, They'll when they're when start. they're getting ready, we're gonna have people coming into the comments. You idiots! How did you not know? Blah blah blah. Because we didn't know that two months ago, mm-hmm. moron. So I I I really I I also love them because of that because they think like we like mm-hmm. did the preview yesterday when they were watching the video, but. That's that's the drawback is because there's still so much more to go. There's mm-hmm. so much. I mean, the spring is one thing. The spring and the quarterback battles in the spring, that's one thing. But that continues through the summer for so many teams. So many teams that we've talked about. There are quarterback battles that are going to con- continue to go on, and this could be one, like I said, that continues throughout the season. But if it continues throughout the season, I think we're going to see a very mediocre mediocre Red Raider air attack because they won't be going with just one guy mm-hmm. like they have been for the last couple of seasons. They may be switching back, you know, from this guy to that guy, from Carter to Duffy to Bowman to, you know, whoever else. And that's where things could get a little tricky because then you lose that rhythm, you lose that feel. That's why I'm always a big proponent of go with one guy, stick with one guy, But, again, that's not always easy. I also wonder, like I said at the beginning, I wonder how long is long enough when it comes to Kingsbury. And the reason why I say that is most coaches who would have the same thing, 30 and 33, not even a winning record, 
in his first, what, five years as head coach of the Red Raiders. Any other program, even a program like Illinois, who is not on the same level as Texas Tech, he would have been fired from Illinois football. I just, I feel like when it comes to this program, is this year going to be a year of excuses when it comes to Cliff Kingsbury? Or will it be a year of either one of two things? One, something actually happens. It's like, hey, we went four and eight this year again. We can't have this again. You're fired. Or will it be a, hey, we can't have this again. Next year, you better make a bowl game or you're fired. Which one are we going to see? Or do we just see like what you said, where, oh, I think the Texas Tech is just too afraid to fire him. And it's basically that situation of like, la di da di da I'm fine sitting here between five and seven wins. la di da di da Like, that's what I think with this team. Maybe not exactly like I that. I hope they do But that. it's like, you're just sitting there like... I look at the wins and losses over the last five years, and except for that first year, which it wasn't even his recruits that year, mm-hmm. I just see mediocrity. That's what I see. Not even good mediocrity because you got four and five win seasons thrown in there, and plus the three bowl games that you did make, you won the one without your talent, you lost the two with your talent. So it's like, come on, what are you doing? Texas Tech has always been one of the Big 12 teams that I've always dogged on for being one of the worst defensively, mm-hmm. and basically because they have been. But I, I think if you look at this team on the defensive side of the football, I think they're going to be drastically improved, and certainly drastically improved in their past in their past defense. They stopped the run a little bit more effectively um, than last year than they had in previous years. I, I think that you can watch for this Red Raiders secondary to make some plays. Uh, they they were you know there's always been too many big plays that they allow in that secondary but I think that with a little bit more experience they'll be able to I think hold down a couple of teams instead of giving up the the, the big deep bombs all the time uh, the front six replaces just one piece up front mm-hmm. however. It's a very talented position in the in the nose guard. They they lose Thomas in that spot. But I think Kingsbury, what we're going to see more this season is more of a balanced team. Whereas it's almost always been offense that's led everything. You know, it's offense and not much defense at all. I think we're going to see a little less offense not necessarily because of anything that Kingsbury's trying to do, mm-hmm. just because of what he has to work with. And I think we're going to see a defense that is a little bit more improved, and we may see one of the most balanced attacks um, in the under the Kingsbury era. So I'm doing a little bit of digging on this Texas Tech team from 2013. We're going to play a little bit of trivia. I know how much you like your trivia, Brandon. I'm terrible at trivia. I know. This is why you're going to like it. They invite me to trivia for the jokes and the humor. That year, Texas Tech had two quarterbacks that threw for over, one threw for over 2,700 yards, the other one threw for over 2,300 yards. Both of them transferred from Texas Tech, and in their last season in college, were really good pro. Well, one was a lot better than the other, but both of those were drafted in the NFL draft. I'll give you a hint. One of them was a walk-on. That should be a huge hint. And second off got drafted in the top three of this year's NFL draft. He went number one, actually. 
who went to the Cleveland Browns. No way. Baker Mayfield. No way. Baker Mayfield had 2,300 yards for them, 12 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. The other guy in that 2013 year, and he was a guy who that was his freshman year as well, played another year for um, Texas Tech where he had over 2,500 yards. Then he had another season where he only had 300 yards. Not sure if he was injured that year or not, but then transferred to Cal. He got drafted not in the first round. He was drafted in the third round of the 2017 draft by the New York Giants and eventually started a game over Eli Manning last year. Davis Webb. Davis Webb. Davis Webb. Oh, my gosh. And he had over 4,200, almost 4,300 yards for Cal in his last year in college football. Their leading receiver, this is a name I have not heard in quite a while. He was drafted in the 2014 NFL Draft by the New York Jets. He is currently, according to ESPN, a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. His initials are J.A. His first name is Jace. Uh, uh, Amaro. Jace Amaro. And then their leading running back that year was, I don't think he got drafted in the NFL. It was Kenny Williams. Not the Kenny Williams from TNT, though. But that was the talent that Cliff was dealing with when he went eight wins. And he hasn't gotten there since. So for me, if I'm Texas Tech and I'm looking at it, if you don't get to a bowl game this year, like maybe I tell this to Cliff behind closed doors. I call him into my office and I'm the AD, and I'm saying, hey, I want two things from you. I want to, one, get to a bowl game. You get to six wins however way you do it. If we get into a bowl game with five wins, that ain't going to help you. You got to get with six. And number two, I want to win said bowl game. If you do those two things, you have saved your job. If not, you're done at the end of the year. That's what I would do because you look at this and it's like, Texas Tech, are you going to be happy with being a four to four to six, maybe a seven-win team under Cliff Kingsbury, or are you going to be a team that says, hey, you know, enough is enough. We're not going to be mediocre. If you ain't going to make us better— then we are going to get someone better because all I hear about you is how moms are hitting on you on the recruiting trail. It's not really paying off when those recruits come and play for Texas Tech. I I could envision a scenario where Texas Tech's offense is not what it's been the last couple of Mm -hmm. years, and they come in and they say, done. Done right then. Yep. Done right then. Well, and what's funny about this is the last thing I'll bring up about that 2013 team. So they started the year with wins over SMU, Stephen F. Austin, number 24 TCU, Texas State, Kansas, Iowa State. That was a bad Iowa State team that year, by the way. Um, And then at West Virginia. So they start the year, what would that be? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and oh. They end the regular season with a loss against number 17 Oklahoma, a loss against 18 Oklahoma State, a loss against Kansas State, a loss against number four Baylor, a loss at Texas. They lose their last five games and then beat Arizona State, who was the 16th team in the country, 37 to 23 in the Holiday Bowl. So really, that was a year where it's like, wow, you're seven and zero, and then we played the really good teams in the Big 12, and we couldn't win. We could because Kansas State was a really good team. Yeah. 
in 2013. I believe, don't get me wrong, was that the year they had, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the quarterback that they had. Um, they had Tyler Lockett was their main quarterback that year. Um, was he the quarterback? No, he was wide receiver. Who am I thinking of? Tyler Lockett. I'm trying to think of their quarterback quarterback from that year. And the only thing I can remember from him is that one of the games they said he played the violin. I can't remember his name, though. That's where you guys come in in the comment section. Any final thoughts about Texas Tech and their season this year? It's going to be an interesting one. I think it's going to be a lot different from what they've seen in the past in terms of their offensive production. That's just me. I could end up being completely wrong, and most people in the comments will probably say that I am. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. Let us know what you think about Texas Tech. How many wins are they going to get? What should we expect from this offense this year? Let us know down below in that comment section. Let's move on, Brandon, into the next team. Two away from ending this podcast, and then next week we'll hit the top of the Big 12 and The next team we're going into is the Iowa State Cyclones. And the thing I want to touch on with Iowa State to begin is basically, and this might be a slap in the face to Iowa State fans, but I don't mean it that way. But this is a team we were not expecting five wins in conference last year. We were not expecting eight wins overall last year. So I'm going to ask you the question that's floating in my head. Was last year for real when it came to the Cyclones? Or was it a fake last year when it came to the Cyclones? And can we expect another year like we saw last year where this could be a 8-5 and five overall team and at least a 5-win Big 12 team? Well, I'd like to say that it's not going to be a, a fluke. Because I really enjoyed watching Iowa State last year. I really enjoyed being able to see them get some of those upset wins and play really well and end up with a good season. And so many people in Ames were loving it. And so many people were shocked, Mm -hmm. I think, quite quite frankly. So many people were shocked because I don't think that they believed that that was going to happen. And not mm -hmm. that they didn't want it to happen. Not that they didn't have the hope that it was going to happen, but truly believed that they were going to end up with eight wins on the season. I just don't think that they thought that that was going to happen. And it did. And it's awesome as a fan of, of that of that team for them to to feel that way and, and have and have that uh, go on. But I guess my whole thing is they will continue to be good and have success if they don't let the loss of some of their solid offensive guys get to them, and mm-hmm. if Kyle Kemp is able to continue he is. to be solid. And, and, I, know and that's, that, I know that's that he the got, thing. and when I say he is, I mean that we know for sure he received an extra year of eligibility yes, to be the quarterback this year, but you're talking more so, can he be the guy that he was can, last can year? Can he be the guy that he was last year? And everything that you get with Kyle Kempt, it's mm-hmm. you're he's he's not this just absolute gunslinger like a Mason Rudolph and he's not a a guy who's gonna run all over the place. Uh even even like I guess like like a Baker Mayfield. Like Baker could tuck it and he would just he would go fifty yards. I mean mm-hmm. I remember the, the I still remember that play against TCU. But Kyle Kempt is a guy who is a smart quarterback and a guy who we we talked earlier about with the Baylor Bears how they cannot turn the football over. Kyle Kemp is a guy 
who is super smart, conscious with the football, and protective with the football. That's what's going to be, I think, the saving grace for Iowa State again this season is that you've got a smart, capable, very good. And when I say that he doesn't have the best arm, he doesn't have the best legs, I'm not saying that he's not good. We clearly saw last year that he is good. He can lead a team. He's a leader. And if he can transfer that to this season, I I do think that we're going to see another competitive Iowa State team. Now, the thing that I will say is one of the things that I'm a little, I want to say, nervous about, in a sense, is basically the extension for Matt Campbell. Because for me, I would like to also say that, oh, this Iowa State team isn't going to be a fluke. They're going to be just as good as they were last year. However, the thing that makes me nervous, and I don't know what the exact contract was for Matt Campbell when he was signed on 2016. I think it was I think it was like a five year, six year deal that he not, got. Not the extension. Oh, oh, I'm not saying the, extension, the first, the first yeah, one. Okay. Because the extension was a six year extension. Yeah. So the thing that serves me is all right, you get that first year, you go three and nine overall, two and seven in the conference. Then your second year you go eight and five, five and four in the conference. Part of me part of me under I understand the contract extension all right, we believe in our guy. We want to lock him down. However, part of me also doesn't understand the extension because for me, you're a team like Iowa State. You're not really known, in my mind, for being a good football program. He was really, at Iowa State. That, that was his second year. Yeah, so, so he went 3-9 and nine and then 8-5. and five. So for me, I feel like really before they offered him that extension, they should have waited until after this year. See what he does this year, then go. I Part of me feels like it was a little bit too soon to do that because here's the thing I worry. Although I want them to be good and want it to be okay, I worry that what if this team takes a step back, they're not as good as they were last year, and then people go, oh, my God, what did we do? We just locked this guy down for six years. I know that you can get, like, when it comes to contracts in general, you can just fire coaches whenever you want. But the thing with me is I feel like, can did, I, did you only get that contract for a one-hit wonder season? That's the thing I worry but, about. But can I tell you why? Can go I ahead. tell you why they did that? Because they haven't had mm-hmm. eight wins in forever. Since they had nine in 2000. Yep. The next best was seven. Mm-hmm. Seven and 01, seven and 02, 04, 05, 09. And then after 09, the best that they got until the eight mm-hmm. was six in back to back years in 11 and 12. That's why they did it. Mm-hmm. That's why they did it. Because a team like Iowa State, a team like Iowa State is different than a team like your Oklahomas or something like that, where they've seen consistent winning. Iowa State has not seen consistent winning. So when they see a guy who's able to turn around a program in his second year, like he was able to go from three and nine to jump up and get mm-hmm. five more wins to go to eight and five, you want to lock that guy in because you think you got something special there. And I cannot blame them for mm-hmm. that. And here's the thing I worry about, though is what we were just talking about. Now, before I say this, I want to say that <clears throat> I think that Matt Campbell's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. There, I said it's on the record. However, the thing I worry about is that 
we look back, let's say three years down the line, we look back at this this season that happened in 2017, and we go, oh man, when it came to when it came to his guys, it just it just isn't in the cards. Like they're not terrible, but man, they're just not a good football team. I wonder if because the big thing is having to me this leads into my biggest question mark for them. How are they going to replace their senior wide receivers? Mm-hmm. They had three guys. Alan Lazard, who after being, because with Alan Lazard in the draft process, I never knew exactly how to feel about him. Then in the comment section, we had someone from Iowa State go, hey, you got to check out Alan Lazard. Once I dove into his tape, I was all over him. I was like, he's an end of the first round, second round guy in my mind. And you threw him on your big board. I did at like 25. You're looking at him. Then you got Jake Campos. He's gone. Then you got Trevor Ryan. He's gone. So you have leadership at that wide receiver position all gone. And my question is, can guys like Hakeem Butler, like Deshante Jones, like Matthew Eaton, can these guys who Butler and Jones were sophomores last year, can these guys pick up for those seniors that were gone? Or is this leadership that they're losing going to hurt them now, I'm not saying like hurt them to where they're a three win team again, but is it going to hurt them to where we look and we go, man, they are not an eight win team. The one thing that I will say, and this goes against that is the one thing that I will say going back to last year, this team should have had more wins on their resume. 44 to 41 overtime loss against Iowa probably should have won that one. 17 to seven against Texas. Could have won that one. 20 to 16 against West Virginia. That's another one you could have won. 49-42 against Oklahoma State. There's another one you could have won. And then a one-point loss, 20 to 19 to Kansas State. This is a team, and I know basically I just listed all of their losses, but every single loss was close. They never got blown out last year. Never got blown out. However, when they won. They also won very close, except for Northern Iowa. They blow out Northern Iowa. They blow out Akron. But everything else, seven points against Oklahoma. You got seven points against TCU, 10 points against Baylor, Kansas, and um, what's the other one? It was Kansas and Texas Tech were their only two Big 12 blowouts. Most of their games, except for four of them, were very close games. Is that going to be the same this year? Or is that offense going to really have to work to win games, even work harder than they did last year because they lost, they lose that senior leadership at wide receiver? I'm going to say probably no, because when I hear that Hakeem Butler and Deshante Jones could become the mm-hmm. best wide receiver duo in the Big 12, that's pretty comforting. Mm-hmm. And I think that what they need to do is they just need to be able to find their con- consistency. And I think... What Kemp's going to have to do is just develop a good rapport with those guys. You lose your senior wide receivers, okay, but he's was he was also working with these other guys last season because mm-hmm. they were playing as sophomores. Yeah, so that's going to be something that should be pretty comfortable for Kemp. It's not like it's going to be something new for him. He doesn't have to. They're not new guys who are just going to be freshmen that they're trying to figure out 
How are you going to run the routes? Are you going to be, uh, you know, is, are you going to turn around and the ball's going to be there? Are you going to be ready? Are, you, are we on the same page? All that kind of stuff. You're, you don't have to do that. You just have to get in the good rhythm like you were last year. Mm-hmm. And I think you're okay. You just got to find that consistency. And I don't think that's going to be too hard because these guys have already played. And that's why ultimately Iowa State is still set up in a good position offensively for that to for that to go well for them. And the thing I find funny is this is the first team that we're talking about in this preview that has a not just winning record but has a winning conference record. They're one of four teams that finished 5 and 4 in the conference last year. And I find it funny that technically, because of the tiebreakers, Texas and West Virginia were ahead of Kansas State and Iowa State, who we're going to talk about to end this podcast. But both KSU and ISU were at eight wins. West Virginia and Texas were at seven wins. So they had a better overall record, but Big 12 tiebreakers just didn't end out. And this year, if this offense, like, if their wide receivers, like you said, can be the best duo in college football, I almost want to say that this is a year that Matt Campbell, and I know I've talked basically shit about the Cyclones so far, like, oh, it was last year a fluke. It kind of seems like I might be really down on them. But if everything can fill in and they can answer the question, like my biggest one is the wide receiver holes, this could be a team that could be prime to make a run to win the Big 12. And that might be a big leap, but you look at it. Yes, you got to go to Iowa this year, but you almost beat them last year. I'm going to say you could beat them this year. Oklahoma, you beat them last year, and they lost a ton of guys. And I I like Murray, but he's nothing like Baker Mayfield, and you beat Baker Mayfield last year. So I think you could have a chance to beat Oklahoma again. Oklahoma State, they just lost Washington and Rudolph. I think that that game is closer than it was last year, could flip to ISU. Then you got West Virginia could be a win. Texas Tech could be a win. Basically the only other game on their schedule that I see being a for-sure toss-up, Kansas State might be, but Texas. Which Texas team are we going to get this year? The team that, because it's funny that in our Texas little segment that we did a few weeks ago, all the comments are like, we hear this every year. Oh, this is going to be Texas's year. And then it never is. <laughs> Just never is. Is this going to be the year that it's really their year? Or by November 17th, are we looking at that game going, wow, this could be Iowa State's statement game to then solidify themselves in the top two of the conference to have a shot to play for the Big 12. Well, I I would find it hard to believe if Texas is not better than what they were last season. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have to be. They have to be, right? But I would also find it hard to believe to see Iowa State do any worse than what they did last year. Because this is a team that's still trending and moving in the right direction. They, you know, some of the things that we've talked about on other teams is, oh, what's happening with their offensive line? You know, Mm -hmm. how is that? Their offensive line, yes, they lose two really good starters in Jake Campos and Robbie Garcia, but they return everybody else. 
and that's a positive. That's actually the first time they've done that since back in 2015. So if they are able to at least provide a little bit of consistency, again, name of the game on a lot of these is consistency. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to be fairly rock solid in three out of five spots on the offensive line, that's not too bad. Still filling two holes is tough, especially two guys who were really integral uh, on the offensive line, but it could be worse. It could be Kansas. So I think that Iowa State is really still setting themselves up in a good position. They're still setting themselves up in a good position, and then that offensive line can still be good. Then we're going to continue to see a good running game. We're going to continue to see Kemp be able to have pressure taken off of him and time to be able to make his throws. The thing that could be even more important this year for Iowa State and this might be me getting ahead of myself, but I'm still going to say it. If they do make the Big 12 championship game and finish either with the one or the two seed, this could be the first time ever that ISU qualifies for a conference title game. Because when you look at it, it's interesting to me because looking back on it, in most of our history, 1996, so when I was six, you were three, to 2010, when the championship used to be for the Big 12. The thing I find funny is the North Division at the time, yeah, Nebraska kind of has the majority, but it was pretty much a toss-up. Like, you got Nebraska, Kansas State, Colorado, Missouri, all qualifying for that game. The thing I found funny when it was the North and the South is the South Division had three teams qualify for it. Texas A&M had two years in 97-98. Do you know the other two teams to qualify for the other, what would that be, what, 10, 14 seasons? Texas and Oklahoma. Basically, it was the South. It was either Texas or Oklahoma was going through. But now it's one and two. You don't have to win your side of the division. So for me, ISU has a great chance, to me, great chance to be in that conversation. I'm going to say be in the conversation because I expect Oklahoma to finish one in the Big 12 again. Do they get upset by an ISU, lose a game here or there? Maybe, but I expect them to be number one. I think this year number two is a toss-up. Like last year we expected it at the beginning of the season to beat Oklahoma State. They didn't. TCU's a team that's always around. Maybe this year people expect it to be Oklahoma State and Texas. Have another Red River rivalry shootout game, this time for all the marbles in Arlington, Texas. However, is this Cyclone team going to take that and go, hey, you know what? We won eight games last year. We should be in this conversation. We're the underdog. We're going to spoil this party. And do they take that momentum and carry that all year, having that underdog mentality to then get into that championship game. And can I tell you what could be interesting mm-hmm. in, in this kind of race that yeah. we're going to see this year here in the Big 12 mm-hmm. is that Iowa State may already have a leg up on some of these teams that we haven't talked about yet, mm-hmm. but that you just didn't mention, yeah. because they already are set on their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, are they? 
is, I, I'm is pretty, uh, Oklahoma, I'd be shocked but, uh, if Murray didn't win. The okay, job. I'm just saying. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. TCU. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. all set. Yeah. On their, they lost a good quarterback, especially and like they, it's not Texas. like, and it's not like they're just asking. You know, they've got another one just waiting in the wings, mm-hmm. salivating to come on through. I, I, I guess th- I would give a little bit of an edge then to Iowa State in that category because they've got a guy who led them mm-hmm. to this eight-win season, their best finish since two thousand. Mm-hmm. They are going to continue to go with him and, and and ride his skill, his ability, his knowledge. This is uh, th- I would be excited if I'm Iowa State because I feel like I've already got a leg up on the competition because we've already we already know who our quarterback's going to be. I feel like the only team that has that along with Iowa State from the top five is Oklahoma because like Kyler Murphy, although it's not for sure he's the starter, I would be shocked he's not the starter. Now the conversation with him is. I find it funny we do a video about Texas football and most of the comment section is how much of a dumbass Kyler Murphy is for not taking his five million dollar Murray, Murray um, taking his five million dollars and going play for like the A's is that who he got drafted yes. by? Um, a lot of people are thinking that he should take the money, go play for the A's, not risk getting injured and play football. The thing is, is he expecting to be Russell Wilson and get drafted in the NFL? Because I'll be honest. It's a a lot easier to make big bucks in the NFL. In the MLB, yeah, five million dollars is good right now. But if I can't get to the majors and get that next contract, doesn't really help me. If I can get to the NFL, get that contract, it's easier to get that second contract in the NFL compared to the MLB. But that's a conversation for a different day. Iowa State to me is on the teeter totter, where the teeter totter is just balancing. It's just which side do you want to tip to? Do you want to tip to the side that has you go worse or the same as this year, like, oh, five and four in the conference or less, you don't make a splash in the top five? Or do you tip to that side where it's like, you know what, this is the year we make that big push. We make that push. Win those close games. Like, I've been talking about the whole time on this podcast, it seems. Last year was the, hey, we lost some games, but we lost them close. This year could be the year where it's like those close losses turn into close wins. And here's what I see. If the season goes great for Iowa State, this is what I see. A really good season of like maybe two losses, one, two losses. They, those close losses become close wins. They become one of the top two teams in the conference but they lose to, like, an Oklahoma in the championship game. And then next year becomes, all right, we have that experience. Now we're going to take it into the next one. However, then next year's question becomes, who's our quarterback? Because Kemp won't be there, but that's a topic for a different day. I think my final thought is Iowa State is going to be very disappointed if they don't repeat or do better than what they did last Mm -hmm. season because they've really got an opportunity, I think, to be one of those top teams. Mm -hmm. When when you look at it, they've got the talent, they've got the skill, they've got the pieces. They just need to put it together again. And like you said, you look at some of those close games they had last year, you take one or two more of those, you could be a Mm 10-win team. And then we're talking... You could be at the top of the Big Twelve, and I know we're probably getting a little excited on that, but it's still it's still an opportunity. The Big Twelve seems like 
it it's shaping up in my mind of what I'm looking at. I know we haven't done the top five teams in the Big 12, but of what I'm seeing and of what we've talked about, the Big 12 is looking like it's more of an open race kind of up for anybody right now because I don't know. You you, you take you take away a Baker Mayfield from a team. You take away a Mason Rudolph. Mm-hmm. You take away some of these some of these really good quarterbacks, and gosh, I, that's like okay, guys, let's run, let's run, hurry. We can get past them now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at what this season could be in the Big Twelve. And that's why I'm using that underdog mentality when it comes to. ISU, but I want you guys to chime in. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. What do you expect from Iowa State? Do you expect them to maybe make a Big 12 championship game? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Let's end the podcast, Brandon, looking at the last team for the bottom five, and that's the Kansas State Thundercats, not the Wildcats. I like to call them the Thundercats because your logo looks like the Thundercat logo. But for Kansas State this year, First thing I'm going to ask you, just right out of the gate, Alex Delton, or Alex Delton, Skylar Thompson, who do you think is going to be the starter when we get to 2018? Well, when the season starts, we're already in 2018. I like Delton. Mm-hmm. I really like Alex Delton. I think that what he did in his limited action last year, because Ertz, Delton, and Thompson, they all played. Because this they is another team, like you mentioned in the last segment, Another team where we're talking about who's going to be the quarterback. It is. I mean, it, it is. It is. It's an. It's another one. There's a. It's the uh, year of the quarterback competition. I like Dalton. Oh, excuse me, Delton. Delton. Dalton. Tomato. Tomato. I almost thought it was Dalton too when I first read it, and I went, "Nope, that's an E, not an A." <laughs> but I like Dalton. I think that what he did and what he's able to do mm-hmm. um, on the through the air and on the ground, he 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 brings a really really good element. However, you look at Thompson too. They're they're both very crafty quarterbacks, but in Delton's time when he was in there, I was more impressed by what he was able to do against the teams he was able to do it against. Mm-hmm. And that's why I just I feel like that's a guy who and, and in their and in their in their bowl game, I I think that he's a guy who's very poised and someone who. I could see being their starter, being that team leader out there on the field, and, and being comfortable with it. So I, I would say I would say it's Delton, and because I said that, it probably won't be. Yeah, and I mean the thing, like you said, with Delton is he does come in with the experience already. Where you know what you look at him, and he completed fifty-one of eighty-three passes for six hundred and eighty-nine yards and five touchdowns last year. He had a hundred and what is that? Fifty-eight yards and three touchdowns in their bowl victory over UCLA. Now I will say, not to give them any excuses, that was a UCLA team that did not have a injured Josh Rosen out there. Probably didn't want to play because he didn't want to hurt his draft stock. But this is one of the things with this team that'll also be a big question for me is they're going to have a transition on kind of both sides of the ball this year because they've got two new coordinators that they're putting in place. Plus they have nine starters that have to be replaced on both sides of the football. If there are, if there's any team that is in this five and four mark for the big 12, the Iowa States, the Texas, West Virginia's Kansas state, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas State's the one, if we had to pick one, to just boop, take a step down. Take a step down from where they were last year because of the fact that Iowa State, they look to be getting better. I know the wide receiver question I mentioned in their segment. Texas, we're asking again, is this the year for them? And then West Virginia is kind of a question mark for me. So I wonder if Kansas State is going to be able to answer these questions, replace these nine starters, figure out which quarterback is going to be right for them, and have a season that is as successful as maybe a Texas or an Iowa State. I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State jumps them, Texas makes the next jump, Kansas State either stays right where they're at or takes a step below. And you know what? I, I just feel like K-State, they're, they're one of those teams that just kind of holds right there in the middle. I really do. I feel like they are just that eight-win team. Since 2012. That holds right there. Since 2012, the last time they had double-digit wins, they were 11-2. and two. Since then, eight wins, nine wins, six wins, nine wins, eight wins. Nine or eight wins... There's one six win in there that was the 2015 season, but ever since it's been, we get at least six wins, probably eight or nine, we go to a bowl game. And in those bowl games since that, they're three and two. And that's why Bill Snyder is there for his, what is it, his 90th season? It's close. <laughs> he, was with, well, this is, he was with Kansas State from 1989 to 2005, then took a three-season hiatus and came back in 2009 and has been with them since 2009. I mean, he's consistent. They're consistent under him, and it's just the it's the same kind of mold. Almost, they, what, 25 seasons, if my math is correct? Almost uh, 25? It's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. The, the, the guy just knows how to be able to... When I, and I when I say win games, mm-hmm. obviously I'm not talking, you know, just, you know, go, you're going to a, a championship every year. But he knows how to rack up wins and in a sneaky kind of quiet way. You know, no, no one's looking at K-State and going, man, K-State, they're just making noise in the Big 12. 210, 110, and 1. So he's got a winning record. Yeah, because he's consistent. Mm-hmm. It's a guy who's been able to find consistency really well. Out of that, out of that eight and nine, mm-hmm. when you're going back and forth of those seasons, eight and nine, eight and nine, and then there was a six in there. Yeah, his two lowest were in 2005. He had five wins, and then in two, in 1992 he had five wins. In 1990 he had five wins. So five wins is his lowest. That was back when I was what? I was. About 15 for the first one. I was two for the second one. I was probably not even a year old because that 1990 football season, I was born in January. So I was not even a year old when they were playing those games. I was like maybe 11, 10 months in uh, right out of the womb. So, I mean, it's been forever. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 1989 was his worst season. He, had, he went one in 10. So before I was even a twinkle in my father's eye, he only won one game. Then it was boom. Ever since I was born, maybe I'm it. Maybe I'm it. I got born, and then Bill Snyder's like, I'm never going to lose lo- less than five wins in a season. Maybe I'm the lucky charm. 
You're not. I'm not. I You're know not. not. You're but... actually the worst of luck for most teams. But but what <laughs> Snyder does well is that he's able to put together these teams and just build off of mm-hmm. kind of junior college transfers, walk-ons here and there, and he puts a team together. And he, these guys are talented. He's He's got a really good problem on his hands right now between uh, Delton and Thompson. He's got two really good, really good guys, and and I think that you've got Delton, the rising junior, Thompson. Uh, what, what what was he? Was he a true freshman last year? Or am I just making that up? Uh, redshirt freshman season. Mm-hmm. So, so you were making it up. I was. I was. It was a falsity. Um, but he's, fake news. But he's fake news. But he's still. But he's still young. But he's got a, he's got a really good problem on his hands because mm-hmm. he's got two really talented quarterbacks, two quarterbacks who can throw the football, run the football, both effectively. And I don't want to say it's a toss up. I, I like Dalton a little bit more because he's got a little bit more experience. But you've got two really good guys on the defensive side of the football. You've got to be able to put more pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. It's plain and simple. They did not get pressure on quarterbacks last season defensively for K State, and that's got to change. I think if you're if you're able to do that, if you can bring more pressure, if they're able to get more of a pass rush, that's going to take, I, I think, a little bit of pressure off the secondary. This team could be right at, again, eight, nine wins, and even maybe if they're in the nine-win category, try and make a little push towards the top there. And, and I'm not say, saying you know, that that's impossible. It's, fu- it's funny because I see the same thing, and I'll tell you why. South Dakota win. UTSA win. Um, I'll go Baylor win. Oklahoma State win. Kansas win. Texas Tech win. That's about six right there. Um, wait, South Dakota, UTSA, West Virginia, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Kansas. So seven wins, Texas Tech. Seven wins is where I would put it. And for me, that is one step down from last year. The reason why I say that is because I could see virtually how I'm looking at it is last year they lose to Vanderbilt. This year you're playing Mississippi State. I like Mississippi State, although they got a new head coach this year. I like Nick Fitzgerald. I like that team. I think they beat Kansas State. Texas, who you lost to last year, they beat you. TCU, they beat you. Oklahoma, they beat you. So you're losing to four of the same opponents you did last year. I'm going to give you a win over West Virginia this year, but I'm only subtracting that because this year, instead of losing to West Virginia, you're going to lose to Iowa State. So basically, same amount of losses. The only difference is instead of losing to West Virginia, you're losing to Iowa State. That's how I can see it this year. You still go 3-1 and one in the non-conference, and then you still go four losses in the conference. It's, it's the recipe for success. For K-State, they go about their business. They have a couple of sneak attacks on a couple of teams. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what happens with them. There's nothing, and, 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 and this is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. K-State fans. There's nothing real flashy. You just go out there, you, you take care of your business, and you win eight, nine games. And the one thing I will say for people on audio, on podcast services around the world, this is going to be, a long-term like, oh, okay, I get you. If you're just coming in for the Kansas State one, you're going to be like, wow, I could have told you that. But a few segments ago when I tried to figure out that um, Kansas State quarterback I was thinking about, it was Colin Klein. 
That's what I was thinking about. Colin Klein. The only thing I remember about him is during like a bowl game or something, they mentioned how uh, he's a really good violin player. And I remember them saying that, going like, oh, I play instruments too. I find that very interesting that he plays the violin. But before we wrap everything up, any last and final thoughts on the uh, Thundercats for this year? I think this is this might be our shortest one only because it's so to the point of like, Figure out your starter. It'll probably be Delton. And then they're so consistent, they'll probably go seven wins, bowl game. If they win it, eight wins. K-State, my, my, my yeah. final thoughts here. What they have to do is they're going to have to fill holes on the defensive side of the, mm-hmm. of the football. Um, I, I I think they've, they've, they've got enough, enough depth where they can do it. Uh, it's going to be the experience part of it because there mm-hmm. were a lot of guys who left early for the NFL and now it's are the next guys ready to step up and take those spots and take take on those roles and then the final thing is Bill Snyder is getting up there in age is this his final season is this his final coaching season mm-hmm. he's been doing it for a long time is this it and then if it is you go from having, and I don't know who who the coach would be coming in next. I don't know if it's an internal person or they go external because he's got some of his family members on staff. But if they go external, you're doing something different. Are you? We going to be seeing a kind of a completely different K State team mm-hmm. with a new scheme and a new way of looking at K State football. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section about K-State, what you guys think for your team this year. Also, that's going to do it for the podcast this week. Halfway through the Big 12, we'll finish the Big 12 next week for the podcast. A little housekeeping here at the end. Number one, if you want to help support us, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. Thanks to Pat for joining us today. You can become just like Pat if you join us at the $10 tier on Patreon. Number two, make sure to check out the store link down below. You can get yourself a beautiful MVP t-shirt. Number three, go check out mostvalpodcast.com. That's where you catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, you're on Apple Podcasts. You're on iTunes. Make sure to give the Primetime Podcast and all the MVP podcasts a five-star rating and then type in a little something-something about why people should check out the podcast. want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. want to thank you guys for listening on podcast services around the world. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.